Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to Priority Roll. Today I'm joined by Persivalius all the way from Sweden to talk about the lockdown meta. How are you, Per? Well, I'm fine. I mean, I mean, it's been a sunny day in Sweden. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Plenty of time in, in at the holiday to to uh, paint some minis and maybe play some games sometime. Well, absolutely. It's 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 really sunny over here. Uh, you know, I, I, we say in a podcast, uh, an Age of Sigma, Sigma podcast from sunny England, and and truly, it is incredibly sunny at the moment. And I think now is definitely. I think I've reached like peak warhammer withdrawal at the moment and i'm i'm trying to arrange some garden hammer because yeah. here in the uk we're still uh we're still under some restrictions yeah, so. yeah. i i heard about that garden garden hammer thing actually that seems to be be a thing i i will uh, in a few uh days i will go up north in sweden and uh, meet my family relatives and and i think there will be some garden warhammer with my brothers there excellent too. yeah i look forward to seeing pictures of it on twitter or something yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, I'm almost tempted to jump in the car and and do like because you can see you can see people, but as long as it's outside, you know, outside yeah. of your um your kind of your bubble, as we call it here. Um, yeah. So so maybe I just need to like drive around the UK, seeing people outside, and bring a tent with me, so I don't have to stay at their home, and then just play Garden Hammer with people. Take a week off work and just play Garden Hammer for a week. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing playing to play outside. I mean, I don't see any any problem with it at all. Uh, so. So I, I don't. I mean, it had to be a, 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 a pandemic to to show us that you can actually play Warhammer outside. You don't yeah. have to be in the dungeon. <laughs> maybe maybe this is heralding like much like the work from home kind of era is now beginning, and managers are being shown all over the globe that you know their workers are perfectly capable of working from home without just playing Skyrim all day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Then uh, in the same way that perhaps we'll see a, a start, a fresh start of tournaments being held outside. But then with the unpredictability of the British weather, I, I'm not sure it will happen over here. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I mean, with the short, short Swedish summer, I think, I think we have to leave it there too. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll stay in our little gaming dungeons then. Maybe maybe when global warming uh, comes in and we, we're all sunshine all the time, we can we can make it happen. But until then, we'll we'll stay in our dungeons. Yeah. So so Bert. Uh, do you want to just introduce yourself first before we crack on? Sure, sure, fine. Uh, well, I'm a, a 37-year-old Swedish citizen. Uh, I have played Warhammer for a long time. Um, um, I played, like, sure, when I was a kid in the 90s, I stopped playing. Uh, I think it was 5th edition Warhammer Fantasy or something. Maybe 4th edition, 4th edition Warhammer Fantasy. And some 40K stuff too, but I, I never really got into 40K. Uh, and then I quit for a bit and and went back into the game. Well, about fourteen years ago or something. Uh, during my my uh, years at the university. So so since then I played uh, regularly and uh, well, I, I actually was one of the few people, at least in Sweden, that had played a lot of Warhammer Fantasy that actually went on to actually play a lot of Age of Sigmar when it came the, the game. So I actually uh, started out uh, and tried out the game from the start. We had a good manager here in Umeå, uh, store manager, uh, local store that uh, was, well, he, he made people believe in the Age of Sigmar game. 
and uh, from there on we we started a, we grown a really big community actually in Umeå it's not a that big of a town uh, if you compare to to uh, other towns in international and in Sweden too but but we have a quite big community uh, playing Age of Sigmar I think that just goes to show the the importance of those kind of community leaders like yeah. the the store managers or or the kind of enthusiastic people at a gaming club that are willing to, you know, pull the pull the gang together, pull the crowd together, and kind of say, do you know what? This is, yeah, sure, this is different. This is a little bit uncomfortable because we're not quite sure what we're doing, and there's no points or anything like that. But let's give it a go. Let's let's, you know, let's make yeah. the best of it. Yeah, and I mean, he 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 made the the first uh, bigger event here in Sweden with H. Sigmar uh, at the Fantasia Fanatic. It's a irregular uh, annual two times a year uh, tournament with bo- both for the K and H. Sigmar that has been going on for at least twenty years or something. Uh, it was for Warmer Fantasy before of course uh it's about 180 to 200 players playing uh, board games uh mostly for the k and, and uh, Sigmar, but also some some war machine and um that tournament has been very important also to build up the community and, and in sweden at the first year it was only that like that big tournament that actually held the game uh the others were playing like ninth age so and uh alternative games yeah yeah I, I guess it's again you can look at things like south coast grand tournament and blood and glory you know yeah. they, all, they all took a hit on numbers in the first instance but kind of through perseverance and and you know sticking to the game and and all that jazz and the, the player base has grown from there which which is great yeah yeah one of the things that we kind of wanted to start with was maybe talking about what the swedish meta was before all yeah. this madness happened in the world and well, lockdown and everything so how would you describe the swedish meta well if you if you look at it uh, at, the, at the late uh, two, 2019 uh, the biggest uh, swedish tournament uh, krigslundan was held uh, joined by Honest board gaming, for example, also streaming it, uh, and they—they they, uh, the, that was the, the end of 2019, uh, and then it, the dominance of uh, there was a lot of OBR. I mean, the the army had just came, but there was a lot of people like mass hitting it with Battle Black and <laughs> Aggressor Earthshade and and churning out armies to left and right. So I, I think about 10 or 15 percent of the armies were OBR, and also OBR came. Second, the the winning list in that tournament was Slanish Silesk list. Uh, so I think that the meta in Sweden at the end of 2019 and the start of 2020 was still OBR, lot of OBR uh, and Nagash all over the place. And and how how quickly do you find the meta develops in the sort of community? Does it yeah? Does it react quickly? I think it reacts quickly, but it also depends a lot on what armies that are like new or or semi new if they existed before. Because uh, I mean, OBR had the the, um, the thing with OBR was that it was so easy to paint that people could really mass produce those mortar guard. Uh, so that oh yeah yeah that that was I mean uh, that was an exception. Uh, otherwise, I think it actually at least in this part. I mean, in Sweden we talk in, in the meta we talk about the north and the south uh, a bit because uh, here in the north uh, we have one meta and the south there's somewhat. Uh, 
different meta. And they, I think they actually adapt a bit faster than we do. Uh, the, the, the major cities of Gothenburg and Stockholm, I think they, they, they adapt quicker to the meta than, than we do in Umeå, for example, where I came from, com- come from. So it's those, uh, um, it's those filthy power gaming southerners that are yeah, yeah, driving all the, the new hotness. Yes, yes. We, we, I have to say that. <laughs> We're just a bunch of fluff players here. Exactly. Not like you casual narrative no. northerners. No, you know, just casual gaming. <laughs> uh, well, well uh, to be honest, we, we do have a community that, that really prioritizes like painting. We have a really good painters here in, up in the north. Uh, I don't, I think the south. If we, if we should uh, have some sort of, of uh, in, internal war in Sweden, <laughs> and, uh, civil, civil war, I think in Warmer they would win. I think we have some good players there, sure, but they have a bit more. Depends of... if the civil war has got soft scores. Yeah, sure. If, 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 well, it's tournaments in Sweden have, have so little of soft scores nowadays. Oh, really? So, yeah, we, I, I, if you look at the the English scene and uh, other scenes too, uh, and we we see the soft scores of painting, and also, I mean, it could also be the, um, I mean, how you react and behave. Uh, but oh, so, so like sporting behavior. Yeah, sure, like, sure, yeah. sure. But in Sweden, we almost all, always just have the. We, we could have a, a different uh, like a side. Uh, thing going on with the painting but it uh, otherwise it's just you have to paint to a certain standard and you get the fixed point but then the rest is like the game part mm. so uh, that leads to I think not I, I, I think the armies are a bit uh, a bit um, uh, not as, as, as beautiful as it could have been so uh, no soft scores and no uh, no paint scores in the actual um, that that will will affect the game and who's the winner of the tournament. And what's your thoughts on that? Is is that something you'd like to stay in, or is that something you'd like to see changed? Well, we had this before with the if you go back to Warmer Fantasy and a bit ten ten years back or so, we had it here with the the paint scores. Uh, but it was the actually. The tough part was for the judges to actually go around and like give points to all armies. It was always always a discussion. Why did they all did they get this low grade? Why didn't they get more points for my beautiful army? Uh, and and so on. So so they they had like a tough time. They they had to. I mean, if you if you are going to like. Uh, Look at 200 armies and and uh, really go into each of them and make a quality uh, judgment. Uh, it's tough, and and sometimes they were up until four in the morning on the on the the first day of the tournament to to judge points. So uh, actually, it was I think it was actually the the uh, TOs who said like, well, uh, we. <laughs> It's tough to do this. Uh, we will we will put the paint grades uh, and the paint like that will be a separate uh, thing, a separate mm. uh, contest. Uh, so so and and from that I, I haven't seen any soft scores in Sweden for a long time actually, except fixed scores like you get these twenty points if your arm is painted in three colors and washed and uh, 
Yeah, and like, no, that uh, makes sense. You you got the some tuft maybe highlighted base. Mm. And yeah. so, what about things like um, mortal realms? You know, the artifacts and things like uh, that. Is that something that's still in use? Yeah, that has actually changed a lot because in the southern part, they they quite fast when this all these things came. The mortal realms, the endless spells, everything. They said, "Let's play with everything." They said, and then they did that. Some some tournaments, but then we could see the international scene. That I mean, uh, a lot of tournaments did uh, a lot of different things um, with the how to handle endless spells, but but mostly how to handle spells and mortal realms uh, effects and stuff, such things. And from there, the Fantasia Fanatic, the the biggest tournament here in the north of Sweden, uh, adapted, never really adapted the realm um, realm uh, effects uh, and realm spells. I think we had realm spells once, maybe, but the endless spells, of course, and the uh, realm artifacts has always been a part of the game since they came. And does that mean that when you look at other people's lists, it's from let's say the UK meta? Yeah. Are they useful to look at, or or because they're perhaps using yeah. using realm artifacts and you're not, or, or vice versa? Yeah, somewhat useful. Um, you could you have to always factor in that maybe Nagash is not as good as he could have been because he can't use all those spells, for example. Uh, and and uh, and the same goes for Zench. If if you got access to maybe six seven realm spells, you of course uh, uh, magic heavy army will be stronger. So uh, that that sort of stuff you you have to like look into it. Okay, okay, I accept that. But also, I mean, a, a big thing that I think affects even more than than the spell thing is actually how if you look at the boards and how how many, how much terrain is on the boards. But that's one thing that I I can if I see pictures or streams from international tournaments and I I'm can look at that and see it. Well, I would have put more terrain on onto the board as TO. I mean that's of course it's not always possible because you you it's it's a money issue and uh, if you want to play only with official terrain uh, GW ter- uh, terrain of course then uh, you you uh, can't maybe can't afford it as a TU but here we play with a lot of terrain actually not at quite as much as in 40k but but a lot of terrain and how does that impact your choices in terms of list yeah, design yeah list list building well uh, always try to it's good to have flyers um you can always try to find sort of choke points in the uh, in the in like the this, when you when you make your deployment choices you can like you know or, or when you make a list you know that there will be points at some boards that are like choke points where a, a smaller army of maybe elites could defend well against a bigger one and won't be surrounded because those like s- smaller gaps in the between terrain of course that also depends on how you play terrain uh, a lot of of, of um, tournaments here play it like some if you got a high uh, rock or mountain it's not unusual that you play it like you can't really stand on that you have to, that's 
kind of impassable terrain. Uh, I mean, I see a lot of people international and in Sweden play that very differently. Of course, some some people place the the uh, miniatures like on the side of the wall and uh, like I'm, I'm standing here uh, and some people say that's impassable or or something else um, or only on the top of the mountain or something but but anyway how you play that will affect your your gaming experience and and also what's meta or not but i think flying arms is, is always good and have some sort of, of fly uh, capacity i think flyers in you know regardless of terrain uh, you yeah. know I, I get the terrain you know heavy terrain density is going to increase the usefulness of flyers absolutely i can see that but mm. to be honest i think uh, you know having something that has the ability to go over screens or, or especially with with the kind of flying like a mentality as or you know the flying concept often mm. comes a a deep strike rule as well so yeah. it gives you you know deployment shenanigans it gives you an ability to jump over screens potentially as you know especially when charging that's that's fantastic yeah. um but also you know units that fly tend to be and i'm sure someone will correct me on on give me an example that's that doesn't conform to this but units that fly tend to be fast yeah. So, you know, those just three things is an ability to deploy off the board and give your opponent something to think about, because that that then in, uh, increases the kind of mental pressure on your opponent, because they're thinking, oh, that unit might not start on the board. Uh, where where could it drop? How do I deploy to stop it from dropping? You know, that's that's a that's a consideration. Yeah, the, sure. The, the second point is that they're fast. So even if they do deploy on the board, they're going to be up in my grill quite quickly. So how am I going to screen to defend against them what are my fragile units that i need to keep away from it you know that kind of thing yeah. um, and even if they if they achieve all, all all of those things um then they might jump over your screen anyway so i need to rather than having my screens let's say kind of two inches out i need to have them you know slightly further and i need to consider maybe using more of a kind of uh like a zigzag screen pattern uh, yeah. to kind of block block bases yeah uh, you know there's something like pascal blight lords where they've got big bases you could kind of block the bases with a with a zigzag deployment yes but then that said you're then you're then decreasing the amount of uh board surface area that your screen is taking up because you're yeah. spend, spending models to to basically increase the depth of defense so just just for those three reasons i think flyers are worthwhile yeah yeah sure and also i mean the last example there uh the the blight lords i mean that's kind of easy because they got somewhat big bases but if you play like you're up against deepkin or something then you're having a real issue <laughs> I, I, I can recall so many times that i tried to to stop uh to, to screen deepkin and and you have to to like go and measure again and again because as you say you don't want to waste all that board presence to to make that uh, strange pattern but also you can't really afford to get one of those units in the back line or between between your lines maybe uh, yeah, yeah so absolutely. i hate i hate really hate playing deep for that reason because <laughs> you have to think, think so much i think plenty of people do because they the, the tides mechanic is just so strong yeah and it means that you're as a player you're playing five different games almost because yeah. on turn one you're playing a certain type of game on turn two it changes and on turn three it changes and you've got to think so much about i mean you should be doing this anyway to be honest you should be thinking about the impact of things in in turn three and 
four yeah. when you're when you're in turn two but people often play with quite a kind of short a short-term outlook of okay what am i going to do next turn what am i going to do next turn but in you with deepkin especially you've got to be like well in one or two turns they're going to be doing this and that's completely different and kind of overrides a core mechanic so that you know when they all strike first it's just it's just insane yeah yeah sure i, I think always playing deepkin it's like you you talked about playing different games but i the overall i think it's like you're playing the game against the clock because you know in turn three it's kind of hurt so yeah. you have to make so much out of turn one and two yeah um, and some armies just aren't built for that or, no. or some some not armies themselves don't have the capability of doing that but some lists aren't designed to run like that a lot no. of lists are designed to to win games in in turn in turn three or turn yeah. four or turn five and i think that that again illustrates the importance of ensuring all your games go to turn five because some lists are designed to alpha and do very well in turn one and then try and weather the storm for the next four turns and try and do as much damage as possible in turn one so that the storm that comes over the next four turns isn't that isn't that strong yeah. some some uh, armies are are there to to outlast and and out durability stay on till turn five so with everything in between you've kind of got you've got to be able to play the game so that the game is possible for all of those armies yeah sure and i mean if you uh, if, if we go on to this uh, this development of the meta uh if you go back to that point um I said that OBR was big in the late 2000, 2019. Uh, and the reason I talked about 2019 and not spring of 2020 is because we, we got a lot of tournaments in Sweden actually nowadays, uh, or at least before this COVID thing. But actually spring, early spring, or, or in Sweden it's actually winter, if you go February and stuff. Uh, we don't have actually that many tournaments, so so uh, that's that was the reason to talk more about la like late 2019. Uh, we had some tournaments at the start of the 2020 before the COVID, uh, and that was quite dominated still by OBR, but also by Tsench. Um But uh, but then then lock time time and, and no tournaments except now the, the one that i attended that I, I i i know that we will talk more about but but um other than that that was kind of the meta when when things froze um so to speak uh still obr but some sense so maybe let's talk about that freeze before we uh before we move on to the tournament itself you know, yeah did you find yourself how did you spend your your lockdown were you were you list designing or were you playing on tabletop simulator what were you up to because of the 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 uh, strange lockdown so to speak of sweden and and that we weren't really in lockdown but we were actually able to attend things if you wanted to almost all tournaments like stopped and and there were no like official uh tournament groups or, or people that like come together in in larger uh, larger gangs to, to play warhammer but there were still pickup games for some uh, i tried uh, tabletop simulator a bit i played some games uh I've, i think it's it's i mean the fun part with with all the like miniatures falling over and stuff i never had so many miniatures falling over like playing 
Warhammer on the computer, and that's that's kind of funny. <laughs> that's a bit uh, ironic, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the one time you don't have any miniatures, they're, they're you know you've got pixels, they're falling over. Yeah, and and uh, I mean that's hilarious, and and also I've like um, some so, so, like I said, uh, some 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 games on on the simulator, and then some pickup games, and then the, the, this this tournament. Um, but um, I mean, for me. As a father to young kids, I don't get that many games outside of tournaments anyway. Uh, so I tend I tend to play uh, a lot of of um, theory hammer um, and and watch watch streams, watch like honest board gamer or or other uh, people streaming tournaments and and like uh, thinking thinking about how to play and uh, that's uh, that's like. A, a second hobby besides painting and actually playing games. Yeah, and it's a lot cheaper as well, isn't it? Than yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. As someone as someone that plays Age of Sigma and 40k, I sometimes wish that I could maybe theory hammer some of my projects a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I I made the decision not to actually enter 40k again when I came back to to play uh, Warhammer because. Not actually, I mean, there's an economical issue, but actually more because of how much things that you have to like, have, have, uh, you have to, to like have some, so much in information living in your head about all those codexes and army books and stuff and units. So I, I, I mean, H of Sigma has expanded, and and uh, there's a lot of war scrolls and special rules and stuff. And to to keep all that in my head is is more than enough for me. Uh, so so the the forty k has to, to rest because I, I can't really handle two games in my head. I've I've got so much. I've only got so much brain space. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you know, I I've sacrificed a few things like um you know family birthdays and you know sort of non-essential stuff like that i've forgotten about <laughs> to make space for 48 and aos and i'm sure my mum won't mind if i forget her birthday because at least she knows that you know i know the war scroll for a mortec guard back to front because you know, yeah. she knows she knows i've got my priorities right important stuff in life exactly yes. exactly <laughs> i'm personally curious about tabletop simulator i haven't tried it yet um, yeah. But I think I'm getting to the point now where I might give it a go. I, I talked recently about giving a, a Night Haunt list a go. And I think I think that's where, for me, it would kind of be most useful because I feel like I'm not super keen to play my existing armies. I'm not, I'm not super keen to just play Warhammer with it. I'm keen yeah. to use it as a testing mechanism to yeah. to try a list out, not necessarily to play an actual, you know, full game. So I use it as a, I, I see it more as a, of a testing tool and a development tool than a, than a gaming tool. Uh, but I, I, I know that plenty of people are using it as a gaming tool and, and enjoying it and, you know, all power to them. It's uh, it's great that they're using that. I'm, I'm, I'm just focusing, I think I'm focusing a bit more on the hobby. And with, with 40K changing at the moment and a new edition coming up, um, I'm finding a lot of my hobby time has gone to 40K. Um, which, which, yeah. which, which, which I don't mind because, because in the UK we're not running tournaments at the moment. I don't have a kind of competitive Age of Sigmar drive or a, or a reason to have that drive. So I'm 
I'm just chilling out. And, you know, I'm I'm looking at my Nighthaunt lists. I'm, I'm really curious to see what the uh, Lumineth Realm Lords look like. I had an amazing idea for a Lumineth army, which I'm probably not going to do. But all this time allows me to kind of think about stuff that I might do in a match play arena, but not actually have to do it. So yeah. it allows me to really focus on my sort of more narrative uh, kind of output of the hobby, which is 40k. So uh, I'm, I'm enjoying that. And uh, I'm sure when tournaments are once again back on the horizon, I'll start getting some, you know, by the time we're playing tournaments, we'll be playing practice games. And by the time we're playing practice games, we'll, we will we can bounce between Age of Sigmar and 40k. But, uh, you know, until then, yeah. certainly from the hobby side, I am slightly more focused on 40k. But from a from a theory side, I'm really enjoying watching how the, the new rules are coming in and watching the game develop in, yeah. in a slight we, slightly weird vacuum, I guess you'd call it. Because... Mm. all these releases i say all these releases you know we haven't had a huge amount but as these releases start to come out they're they're, they're not having the impact that they would have otherwise had and i think no. certainly in the uk and I, I, i'm conscious that sweden have got a slightly different a kind of a gaming environment but something like seraphon yeah i'm really curious to see what seraphon is going to be like because by the time we hit gaming events we're going to have Lumineth, and Lumineth look like an in incredibly strong yeah. army that can have a, a massive impact on, you know, counter magic or, or shutting down key pieces with magic. Yeah. So are Seraphon going to have their, their time in the limelight? You know, is their moment in the cell already gone? Yeah, I, I actually thought about that too, that it's like it's a silent army book or a si silent uh, book because it came out exactly before the lockdown in, lockdown in many countries and then not, not, at least some, well some turners had had an opportunity to to run it but uh well i can say that it's it's sad for the seraphon players me me among them uh at least i got to play a, a tourney with them and it was fun uh but but I mean, it's it's sad because I think it was a long-awaited uh, book, and uh, there's a lot of Seraphon players out there, and and I think they they are quite sad to not be able to have their moment in the sun, as you say, because I, I think that moment is somewhat gone because Lumineth is so strong and and uh, and like has an have an answer to almost anything but heavy, heavy shooting in the first turn of the game. Yeah, a lot of the Seraphon heroes are quite fragile, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I uh, I played um, some some games in this tournament I played against other Seraphon players uh, because Seraphon <laughs> is, was, was good. And like uh, when you're up against someone who can hit several heroes, like Croak, for example, hit several units at the same time and like churn out a lot of mortal wounds at them then then your your fragile small hairs will die and also the the machine gun nagash can do almost the same thing uh being at the right place uh with, with all those bolts uh so i think actually techless and the uh, area of effect spell through a portal will be devastating maybe so much devastating they that that they will have to like FAQ it to not be able to use the portal or something. I don't know, but it, it will be strong at least. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm sure all those skink heroes aren't going to have a very fun time <laughs> against Seclers, are they? No. No, no. They, they I mean, they, they are so fragile that they don't, they don't need Seclers to, to die. No, they don't need an elven god to die. They need a stiff breeze. Yeah. Right, that's enough about skink heroes, I think. Why don't you tell me about the, uh, the event itself? Yeah. Uh, it was 
kind of a special event, this this uh, quarantine tournament, so-called, or Fantasia Quarantine Edition. Uh, we had to like have a tournament in in the um, borders between the borders of of uh, restrictions of COVID, and therefore, uh, I mean, couldn't be in Sweden. It was more couldn't, you couldn't be more than fifty people at the same place. So it was not as strict as many other places. But I mean, there were no tournament organizers. They were willing to like risk their their health or, or the players' health and had such a big tournament either. Uh, so we had to come up with something else. And then the idea of a quarantine tournament, uh, not played at, at a single event, but as a ongoing tournament, sort of a league, but it's still a tournament and with Swiss pairings and, and all those things, just like a regular tournament, but it was stretched out and you played like one game every two weeks. Uh, so five games and one game every two weeks. Uh, and the only people that meet up is you and your opponent. So if you are like using hand soap and, and all the other uh, precautions and there's only two people meeting each other, uh, then the risk of getting infected with something was a bit uh, much lower than if all of us would go to the same event. I so love that, it. I think that's such a crazy idea. Yeah. And and it, the fun part was that it worked and it was a lot different than have. I mean, you can't really, of course, you can't really like uh, um, compare it to a regular tournament in some ways because, I mean, a regular tournament here in Sweden and in the north of Sweden, we got those two big tournaments a year and, and it's like a big happening. All those friends from afar coming together, talk hobby at the weekend and... Uh, play some games, have fun. That's it's incomparable to to this, but at least it was something, and you had you you could play your games. Uh, so we we was twenty five players uh, who attended the tournament. Uh, so that means that it was a lot fewer than it used to be uh, in in HSC where we 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 used to be about fifty people in that tournament uh, for the case bigger. So uh, anyway, twenty five people. Uh, were, were attending this tournament and uh, we got our, our pairings, we got our games and, and the tournament started. So uh, I, for myself, was playing Seraphon. Uh, curious to, like, as you say, check it out if, if, if uh, Seraphon had something to, to say against the big armies. Uh, um, and um, there was a, actually quite a few Seraphon players. Uh, I think we were six out of 25 playing Seraphon. Uh, anyway, um, I I can also just mention my list if someone is interested. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Talk me about talk me through your list. Yeah. Uh, well, the initial thought was here in in the north of Sweden, OBR was still dominating. I mean, we had some Sench, and I, I'm a Sench player myself, but I had make a, a vow, a promise not to play the change host this tournament and i had to you're to... a good man you're the hero we deserve <laughs> yeah i felt like that and and i and that was actually with the old change host i, I played that before the the change the new army book and i i uh, to my friends i said that okay i will not play this at the next major tournament so um anyway uh, then I go went back to my old army and rebased my eighth edition fancy army, Seraphon. So I went for a Fangs of Sotek Starborn 
list. Uh, of course, like everyone else, I was taking Crook, and that's really meta if you if you play uh, Seraphon, you are playing Crook. Uh, then a, a Star Seer, two Star Priests, star, a, a Skink Priest, a Turden Chief, and uh, four Skinks with Bolt Spitters and Shield, four Skinks with Bolt Spitters and Club, ten Skinks with Bolt Spitters and Shield, uh, nine Turdens, three Salamanders, uh, a bound Geminidis, and the Vortex. That was my my list. So, so Croak's pretty good, isn't he? He's a tasty yeah. little number. Yeah, sure. And, and I mean, there was a lot of talk before the the COVID about Croak. He will he will be good, and I can tell you all he is good. <laughs> Nothing compares to Croak. Uh, but actually, I when looking looking back to the tournament, I actually didn't use him as much as I could have, uh, I was kind of like uh, a, b- a bit passive with him and using a lot of other things in this army uh, more actively. And the croak was like the boss sitting in the back and pointing at things and not not really playing the aggressive croak game that like some others did. But uh, croak is good, yes. And I mean, salamanders, you have all heard about salamanders. They are also good. Everyone that has looked at any games at the uh, table simulator would have seen that there's a lot of salamanders out there. Uh, not There will not be as many at, at the tables because they are expensive and stuff. And they yeah. will surely change at the GHB. That's really uh, interesting as well, isn't it? About the... The difference between an online tabletop uh, meta and the the sort of in yeah. reality meta, because sure, whilst running I don't know eighteen salamanders is fun uh, yeah. for you, maybe not your opponent. Um, <laughs> who owns eighteen salamanders? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I own three, and and that, that was like plenty, at least in in Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, so. I just think we'll see a really different style of Seraphon list doing well in yeah. in sort of physical events than yeah. virtual events. Um, but I think you know playing extreme lists and it gives you a, a an output for something a bit fun and a bit different. I, I get yeah. that. Um, I just wonder whether if you're using Tabletop Simulator kind of to stay to stay up there and in the game, whether yeah. using extreme lists like that is is a is a super useful way to practice. I think not because I, I can just speak for myself about those uh, like gimmick gimmick lists when you like uh, take a unit and you like mass produce it. Uh, I always try to think play the long game and think what will happen with the next point upgrade because uh, you will throw a lot of money and hobby time into play, pay, painting and playing with the same unit a lot and then it will change and you will have to change and adapt and that, then I, I I for myself like to like I can play I, I mean I play with salamanders and I know they are good and I know that it's six salamanders would be better than three salamanders of course but it was also it was also a game of fun and as you say fun for your opponent and also if you are going for all comers list and you want to like being able to defeat different kinds of armies then maybe the the mass producing the mass units and several units at the same time maybe it's not for you uh if you are going to try to win a tournament i don't think it's actually a good thing at all so what was going through your head when you were designing this list was there something specific you wanted it to do yeah i i wanted to like have some sort of not a, maybe a jack of all trades 
uh, approach, but at least, uh, I mean, I, I don't have any that much of a close combat in the human list. But uh, I wanted to, of course, be, be able to perform in the magic phase, the hero phase, uh, but also in the shooting phase. But I wanted to have some sort of big units to dominate the objectives and also some fast units to be able to hit the opponent first turn because I had a lot of drops, as you can see in the list. No battalions and a lot of drops. Uh, and I, I knew that I will be forced to go first a lot of times. But if I'm going to go first, I will make my opponent pay for that. And uh, they are going to have a difficult choice between going first and put their buffs up and take the board or let me do that and I will teleport some, I will fly with my uh, Terradons fast and and um, and hit hard and at least two of my units will hit the opposing uh, player's lines first turn and it will hurt. So uh, that was one uh, thought and the other thought was I have to be able to beat OBR and, and that, that's the Terradon part of the game. The, the nine Terradons is especially there to handle OBR and be able to drop some stones on something big like and Nagesh. Why, why do you think they do so well against OBR? Well, there's a lot of mortal wounds in this list. Uh, we had a lot of... It was fun. As I said, a lot of Seraphon players were attending, but no one had the same list. I mean, of course, everyone, at least five or six... Out of six played uh, Crook, and almost everyone played at least three Salamanders. Three or four of those lists uh, placed high in the tournament at the end, and all of those were very different. So I think you can place Seraphon in very different ways. You have the Coalesce, you have the Starborn, and we had both of them represented in, in the top ten, uh, both Coalesce and Starborn lists. Uh, and you can like play mass skink. You can play no skink at, low, at, at least, maybe screen or something. So that's fun, and that that means that you it's a good book because you can play it in different ways. I completely agree because one of the one of the things that struck me as I was reading the book for the first time was the amount of choice out there, and I yeah. think that's a real strength. I, I think it's genuinely one of the best Age of Sigmar battle tomes that have been produced because <laughs> everything is viable. Or, or not everything per se, but um, if you're saying you know, yeah. people use viable quite a lot, you know, people often say, "Oh, is this viable?" And by 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 that they mean, can this do top third of a tournament? Um, so obviously everything's viable. You can run whatever you want, but uh, I think that there's a lot of units in there that have a place in lots of different lists, and I think that's demonstrated by the fact that you've had so many people play Seraphon, but have yeah. such a variety of lists out there. Yeah, and I mean, I chose this. One third on chief, nine third on setup to be able to handle some sort of things, but there was no one else uh, of the top seraphon players playing thirdons at all. Uh, I, we could all agree that it was a good unit, but the others made other choices. And I, and I, I can say that nine thirdons might be three thirdons too much. It's it's hard to get all those it's, stones. It's in. sad news, isn't it? It's sad yeah. news. Yeah. But the uh, the change to the basing, you know, the, the bases have to yeah. cover the enemy, or every every model has to overlap the enemy to drop yes. a rock. Whereas yes. before it was just one model in the whole unit, which was yeah. which was insane. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the right choice. But nine is really quite yeah. cumbersome to move around the table, isn't it? I, I was able to do that once, <laughs> but but uh, other than that, 
uh, it was mostly five, six, seven, maybe. Mm. What What are your thoughts potentially on two units of six then? I think that is another issue. I, that that could be something because the, then you can threaten two targets, and that's good. Uh, and also, you uh, you have some. Well, you 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 can lose one and also be be good with that. The, the fun part with the Terradons was that they didn't at all perform as I was that, that, that I thought it was going to perform. It did other things for me, and uh, as the tournament went on, I learned to use them in a good way, but not in the way that I thought I would use them. How, how was that then? Well, my initially thought was this will be my hammer. I will put all those stones into all those uh, big uh, monster heroes or big strong units like Hearthguard Berserkers or something. Uh, maybe, or a 20 unit of Mortar Guard or something. Something strong that you want to, to weaken uh, fast and without penalties. But instead, it was like they were the speed bump. I did went in, put some stones on something, killed something, weakened something. But then there were nine Terradons standing somewhere in the field of my opponent's deployment zone. And the opponent had to handle them and often couldn't kill them in one turn if I was smart with my uh, engagements. and locked up a lot of the opponent's army. They have a lot of a big footprint. It's hard to move around them. They do. Those 50 mil bases do they do take up when they're all together, they take up some serious real estate. Yeah. They acted like a big chain of meat. Like uh, even if they, they are I mean they have they have a six up save. They are not strong at all. Not sustainable. But if you can hit a corner or something at a, a, a opposing player's unit you can stay there for a while and at least take one charge uh, and you will be killed, but at least they, they don't move outside their own deployment zone. And, and at the meantime, your units are like taking over the board. It's 90 skinks running around having a party at the objectives. <laughs> Just imagine doing this two units of six, you know, tagging a long line on one end and tagging another line, the same line on the, the other end. Yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, the other... Part of the problem with the Terradons was the sheaf. Uh, you want the sheaf to be close, to be able to use the ability to drop rocks on 2+, plus instead of 4+. plus. But it's hard. Often I used some ability to enhance the movement of the Terradons. Like uh, Skink Priest have a run and charge ability, and the uh, Starseer has, has a uh, magic uh, spell that enhances the charge to 3d6. And if you use one or two of those, it's hard for the actually hard for the uh, chief to keep up and be uh, wholly within twelve, and also with the big footprint of those nine. Uh, so maybe skip the the, the chief entirely, or go down to six, or maybe two units of six, as you say. Uh, it will be easier to like fit the uh, in the chief bubble and use those nice two plus. Uh, yeah, or, or, or as you say, maybe just slightly change your mindset on what you want from them. So yeah. they're less about doing an alpha type damage and more about being a nuisance to to your yeah. enemy. So maybe yeah. even drop the chief. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I, I would say drop it, drop him. If I'm if I would go back, I mean they worked well in about half the games or something. But if if I would go back and do something with my list, I would drop the chief, drop three. Terradons and put in an astrolith bearer uh, and something else. 
because the Astrolith Bearer, the other successful Seraphon players were using the Astrolith Bearer. It's good with the combination of Bailwind and the Croak. Oh, yeah. Um, and what, one of the other things, before we get on to Croak and the Bailwind, yeah, um, yeah. one of the other points you've got to consider as well is that Pterodon Chiefs are 70 points. Yeah. And another three pterodons are ninety. So yeah. if you're going to go from nine till sit to six, yeah. then you've got you've got those three pterodon ra- uh, riders as change. Let's say you just need to find another twenty points somehow. Yeah, and then you've true. got then you've got your second six. So I, I I think that's something that almost you've got to or when you're designing an army, almost think what is this unit trying to achieve? Are they trying yeah. to achieve what the war scroll tells me they can achieve? That is, you know, mortal wounds and damage and stuff like that. Or actually, am I going to use them in a slightly different way and yeah. almost use them like out of the box? You know, have a bit of an out of the box plan and think, actually, the, the these are just going to be my kind of speed bumps, and they can use their fast movement and their craziness to to get around the board and, and prevent people from getting objectives because ultimately that's what the game's all about. Yeah, and also, I mean, you can also use them as uh, they're quite versatile because you they are fast, and as, as we spoke about earlier about the flying fast units um, but they are also they get one thing going for them and that's how you play with the opponent's mind because the rumor spread after a few games and and the the turtles performed well in the first games the the rumor spread that those turtles are dangerous so many people were, were afraid of those turtles I, I could use them for mind games i Absolutely. always deployed them last and and worst case scenario you can summon a turtle chief yeah Sure. We were talking about this with Benjamin Saver about um, you know that, that that mind game. You can say that you've got two units of six, and people will be like, "Oh, but they only do mortal wounds on a four. That's fine." And you'll yeah. be like, "Yeah, sure, at the moment, <laughs> but I can summon a Terran chief, and they do it on two, and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then they start yeah. thinking in a slightly different way about your six Terrans, even though even though you might not plan to uh, no to ever summon that Terran chief. No, the, the problem is it's so long into the game when, when you get those points. Oh, yeah, those points. But that's that's what the Astroth Bearer helps you with, does it? Yeah, well. yeah, sure. You want you want to like drop those stones in turn one or two to have an impact uh, early on and have, get momentum and uh, like the advantage. Mm, start shaping the battle from the, from the early outset. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Uh, my, my philosophy in this game is always try to hit hard and fast and then... Uh, try to hold the line afterwards, <laughs> kind of. Uh, but I, I mean, that depends on the army, of course. It's so different playing something else. Uh, I should just say th- something about those 40 blocks of skinks, because I was the only one playing big blocks of skinks in this tournament. Uh, and I think they are real an oversight. People should play those because they are really good. And I mean, as you can see in, in my list, I've got one with the shields and one with the clubs. And the one with the clubs, actually, I mean, if they take a charge and they hit them force, and you can enhance it to threes if you want, they hit them force and they wound on force. And maybe usually you got this uh, um, poison thing going on. Because I have two skink priests, I can poison, put poison on both my big blocks or something else. Maybe. But anyway, having 40 of those guys teleported in, try to make a long charge and at least threaten to make a long charge and put all those 80 daggers or 80 shots in, into something, it could really uh, make an impact. So those clubs uh, at, at close combat are actually quite dangerous. Yeah, there's, it, a, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of overlaying buffs that you can put on them, isn't there? 
Yeah, yeah, and and you you have to think about how you place your heroes. But I mean, they most of the time they had poison. One plus to hit was not uncommon uh, with command point, and and maybe getting in a re-rolling ones to hits hand of glory or something. So lot of um, buffs and and uh, I mean they hit hard and then they have a such big footprint and uh, I mean they they dominate the board if you got 90 skinks you don't have to worry about taking the objectives from your opponent your opponent have have to deal with them somehow so so that that's that's a really important thing with the list everything was actually building up to buffing those groups of 40 skinks so they were your kind of heavy hitters as it were yeah yeah sometimes i mean the salamanders hits hard on some targets targets but it was mostly the the skinks who did the uh the the heavy duty the heavy work of, of uh, the game salamanders were salamanders are more like a very sharp knife an assassin or something you teleport them in they take out the target but they will be charged in return and destroyed you cannot like rely on them and think like this is a this is a mainstay unit they will they will have an impact on this game they will have impact on one or two turns if you are not able to eliminate threats of course so uh if you play offensively with them they're they're more like your fine knife your your assassin and the skinks are the like the the soldiers yeah it's it's actually quite different to how that you might think of it because you might think that the pterodons yeah. with the mortal wound and coupled with the skink uh, pterodon chief rather, and then the the salamanders themselves are the kind of infamous unit in the book. And people are kind of thinking, oh, watch out for the pterodons, watch out for the salamanders. Yeah. But actually, it's your skinks that are doing the kind of heavy lifting in the list. Yeah, yeah, almost all the time. I mean, the, the skinks they 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 stay for a while. They can take a charge uh, if you buff them correctly with with some. Some extra armor, for example, on the shield guys. Uh, they can have three plus armor or two plus against uh, missile weapons if you are putting all the buffs in the right place. So, so they are actually a mainstay and and a. I think everyone should play at least Fortress Kings if you are playing Seraphim. If you're not a loving uh, Soros guard or Soros, for example, but but if you if you're at all into competitive uh, Seraphim. I recommend 40 skinks at least, but maybe not two blocks of 40, but one block at least. It's definitely a lifestyle choice, those, that, that horde, that horde yeah. army. Yeah. That horde life is a, it's either a calling or it's not. Yeah. So uh, what, what else would you, going forward maybe, what else would yeah. you change about the list apart from maybe dropping to six uh Well, not much actually. <laughs> I, I am quite happy. I mean, I performed well and we can, we can come to that. Uh, but I am happy with the other parts. Uh, putting in an asteroid bearer to strengthen the magic and uh, doing so by uh, have three less... Pterodons and uh, one sheafless. Yeah, no, I think I think that's um that's a really good way to look at it because yeah. we often say uh, we're often guilty, I guess, of over analysing our lists and thinking you know this didn't go well at a tournament. What can I change? Whereas actually, yeah. it's not about one tournament's worth, and certainly not about one game's worth. It's um it's important to get a number of tournaments in before you start making drastic changes, especially if the list has uh, has done you well. Yeah. And uh, I think it would be fair to say that the the list did you quite well, didn't it? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, if you're talking results in the tournament, you can get 20 points in each game. So a major win uh, is 20 to nil. And uh, you got most of the 
points from the, the main objective, but a few points from hidden agendas. So having yours succeed with your agenda, agendas gives some points and stop your opponent from succeeding uh, with their agendas will get you some more points. So the maximum is 20 to nil, but then you can have all between 20 to nil to nil to 20 and uh, everything between. So 10, 10, 11, 9 and such. Sure. And anyway, uh, I was up against Edeneth Deep in the first game and, and that was... I mean, I don't have to go through everything, but <laughs> it was fun because I was alpha charged in the first turn. Uh, but my my line held, or four skinks died. But then it was my turn, and uh, Croak killed a lot. Just did his thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he had three units close by, and and Croak and all the others like heavy shooting with everything that's still alive. I took out a lot. So uh, that was actually a one, quite a one-sided game uh, from my turn one and on. Uh, so so it was, I think I won that one with 19 to one or something. I played another Seraphon player in game two, also Starborn, but with a few more uh, Salamanders. He had six and Asterite Bear. So he had the magic advantage and such. I tried to play pray for a big win and got a bit greedy. And it ended in quite a draw. I got nine points and he got 11. So it's not a win-loss system. You get those points. So I was still in, in the game for, for winning. Um, I, then I played Beast Claw Raiders uh, with two Stonehorns. That was fun. And I, I have to say, the fun part with this stretch tournament is that you had a lot of time to think about who you were going to meet and, and how to play it, and the, especially deployment. Because mm, I bet. It, I mean, for one week, at least, I knew I will meet this guy and this list. You can and, do a lot of research in a week. Yeah, yeah. And th that was quite different. I mean, when you're at the tourney, uh, usually you are like, you got maybe a lunch break and then you know your second opponent or something. Uh, and uh, and you maybe you know the list, maybe you know the play player, and maybe you know something about the army. But there was such an opportunity to uh, to be able to go into each army and like analyze and if for me like uh, that are into theory hammer i could theory a lot so actually i had a lot of success with good deployments because of the time that i could spend analyzing the situation i knew the battle plan i knew the army and such so uh, that that's actually fun because it it was really a payoff in in at least four of the five games the game plan was like made up one week before the game. Yeah, that's incredibly useful, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was I went up against two Stonehorn lists, but I I was able to close the middle with endless spells and uh, screens and stuff, and just shoot him into pieces. In the fourth game, I was up against another Seraphon player playing a coalesced army with double Bastilodons, and I can say that those guys they are putting out thirty six shots. <laughs> Each turn, if you got the command points to spend, uh, and that was brutal. But I was able to win that one too, uh, nineteen to one. In the last game, I met the OBR with Nagash, and that was actually streamed. You can look at that one. That one is on Twitch. Uh, I, I was able to win that that game big too. Anyway, the special thing about this tournament that could could have been the end of the tournament, but. We had a special thing that we usually don't do, and that was the top four players was going to play semifinals and final. 
uh, and that was totally different from how we used to do, but we, we did that. So it was me and actually three other guys that I had already met, the Internet player and the two Seraphon players. So top four was Seraphon, Seraphon, Seraphon and Internet. <laughs> what an excellent showing for the, the Lizards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was crazy. And and then I went up in the semifinals against the Internet player that I played the first game, was able to win that even it was even if it was really close and ended up in final against another Seraphon player, the one with the double Bastillodon. Uh and and it was a close game. I had the chance to win several times in the in in turn five. I, I was if I had made an eight in charge. I would have win the game. Uh, to, it was blood and glory, and you know you are supposed to hold all those. Oh yeah. Games. Uh, so, uh, but I failed that eight-inch charge, and then it was game over. So, uh, all in all, I went second in the tournament, and Seraphon ended just as I said. Seraphon, Seraphon, Seraphon. Irenath player got fourth place. So, uh, if we are talking meta, I would say that that Seraphon had a field day and that it was actually quite a few OBR players in this tournament too. I think there were four of them. But every game OBR and Seraphon was up against each other, Seraphon won. So that's something. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad even though they might not necessarily had the the right amount of attention and their time in the sun, they've they've had their they've had a small moment somewhere yeah. in the north of Sweden. <laughs> Yeah, in the in the north part of Sweden, the only tournament, uh, <laughs> a, a they... single a single ray of light <laughs> shone down from Azir yeah. on the north of Sweden. And said Seraphon, you can have your time. Yeah. So, it, it, but it was a really fun tournament to play. I mean, of course, if I had to choose between a uh, regular tournament and this one, I will choose the regular one. But that's that's not because of the gaming part. That's more about the social life and, and meeting your friends and uh, looking at beautiful armies and, and talk war. Yeah, uh, but if, from a gaming point of view, I would say this was at least as fun as entering a tournament. Excellent. Well, thank you ever so much for going through your, your list, uh, yeah. the, the event itself, but also talking about kind of the, the meta and, and how the, the kind of Swedish scene is, is yeah. overall. Um, yeah. If people want to kind of follow up with any questions to you, yeah. uh, maybe on Twitter about their, their own Seraphon thoughts, is there somewhere... Is Twitter the best way to get get in contact with you? Well, Twitter. I don't have any, any Twitter uh, right now, but of course uh, I am quite active on the uh, the forum. The um, what do you call it? The the the, the big one. TGA. Uh, TGA. Yes. Uh, TGA. Uh, community. Uh, I used to to put up. I will put up my uh, battle reports there also for the game. I I, I have uh, written them and they are. In, on the Seraphon forum, because the Seraphon players was was really really into knowing how the army would perform, so so I posted them there first. But I am active on the the, the that uh, forum and the TGA, and I I will post my my battle reports there. And then of course you can ask questions if you like. So excellent. And what's your username if people want to find you? Well, uh, what's my username? Sig Warriors. Excellent. Sig Warriors. Any 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 last shout outs before I ask you uh, a couple of questions? Uh, well, I would say that if you have the opportunity to attend or create a tournament like that, and if I mean if we are in lockdown, if we if we're not really in lockdown now, but it I mean it's not like normal at least. Uh, if 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 this situation will prolong and uh, there will be no tournaments 
as you as as normal tournaments i will recommend theos to think about this thing with with the, the coroutine stuff and and how you could create a tournament with, within the boundaries of rules for covid restrictions there, there we go the challenge is lane who will yeah. be the first person to run a uk garden hammer tournament around the whole nation people meeting up in various gardens yeah garden or, or indeed or indeed around the world as well so so if, if you're also getting uh, getting involved in some sort of isolation event you know whether it's um you know something like we discussed or or a slightly different way then then do let us know we'd love to hear from you yeah so right two quick questions for you then uh if you had to keep one thing about age of sigma and the rest of the game was going to be rewritten what would that be and if you had to uh, remove one thing from age of sigma and the rest of the game would stay the same forever what would that be the the first one is easy if i was to keep one thing i would keep the priority role ah excellent <laughs> so uh, we, we, we've stopped people saying that because so many people said it so you'll have to think of another one but yeah okay okay something else <laughs> well then maybe but it, it, it's it's some rule it's not it could be anything or it could be anything rule. it could be anything it could be okay. a rule could be a, a, a concept yeah, because because if I if got to keep something, I would like to keep the um, like how this community has shaped as a community. That's not a game thing, but it's it's really uh, affecting the game because I I remember the old fantasy and how it was and uh, like uh, it was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of, of, of the competitive gaming was kind of toxic. I think mm. you had a lot of people like showing you a, a, a long list of notes and exceptions and like rule lowering and stuff. And it was not fun to play uh, at the last years. But this this community that has been created in with the Extra Sigma, uh, I would say, even if it had changed a bit the last years, I would still say that it has uh, kept the good things with a positive mindset and people even if they are competitive because i really like competitive games it's not i don't hate on that i, I am try to be competitive myself anyway uh we i i, I like to think of age of sigma as a community with people that like the game and also like to try to give also your opponent a, a good uh, time and experience so yeah, i like to keep that yeah no i, I completely agree Absolutely. The uh, the community is a fantastic part of this game and the game is a fantastic part about the community. You know, it's it's all about the people. It's it's why I'm really looking forward to getting back to back to events themselves. Um, yeah. not only to throw some dice but also to see to see all the various people, um, you know, my friends and, and the people we all play with. So I think sometimes there's a risk and especially maybe now that we're all sat behind our computers and phones in isolation yeah. and maybe a little bit bored or or frustrated with what's going on around us and looking for ways to vent our frustration there's a there's a risk that we we vent our frustration at things that we we don't necessarily like in in the hobby whether that's you know yeah. army lists that are perceived to be broken or, or or something someone said on twitter or something someone was perceived yeah. to have said on twitter and i think sometimes you know sometimes it's time to to put the phone down and just kind of you know write that tweet out in a draft and then delete it afterwards you know sometimes it's it's not worth pressing pressing send on that yeah on that tweet and sometimes you have to ask yourself is this conversation that i'm creating is it is it adding positivity to the hobby or is it is it just is it just adding negativity because certainly that's what i go on to uh onto twitter for it's it's to go on to you know 
experienced the positivity and the the good parts of the community of, of the hobby. And you know, I don't go on there to have you know to watch people have arguments or and start you know shouting mm. names at each other from across the internet. And I think sometimes if you're doing that, you need to kind of have a have a look at yourself and have a look at what you're doing with your with your internet time and your free time and your hobby. Because ultimately, yeah. the, hob- the hobby is meant to be a, a force for good and a force for positivity. Yes. And if, you're, if, if you're letting it become a negative influence on your life, then um, then you know don't tr- try not to let it. You know, look look for the positives in in the community because there there are so many of them. Yeah, yeah. The other question about yeah. what to remove. If what would you change or get rid of? Same uh, change. Uh, I think it's not removing something, but changing something. I would like to have terrain rules that are a bit more. Uh, I don't know, interactive, unique, something else. I, I would like ordinary terrain to to not just. I mean, to have special rules for different kinds of terrain, not not rules that are... I mean, some of the terrain rules now, they don't really affect much or, or very few cases. Like, you got this volcanic terrain. On a six, it will make DJ yeah. mortals. Yeah, I mean, volcanic terrain, everyone just doesn't sit next to it. You know, yeah. it's, it's a fairly straightforward thing. Do you know what? I think that's a really good a really good answer to that question. And I'm really interested in seeing what the 40k ninth edition terrain rules are yeah uh, not only because i'm a keen 40k player but also because i'm interested to see what potentially age of sigmar could learn and that that's definitely going to be a, a topic for a future priority role discussion yeah. is is once we've got the ninth edition 40k rule book in our hands kind of thinking how how can age of sigmar learn from this and and what what parts can we like would we like to see uh you know incorporated into this in this side of the game yeah and that's that's actually a really good reason for aos players to look at the overall look at the changes of 40k and uh, have a, a, a really a, a keen eye on, on on what will happen because surely some of the things will i mean the the two games are like interacting with each other in a strange mm. way you can kind see of inextricably linked aren't they they're very yeah. they're unique games but they are they are sort of yeah. inextricably I'm... linked and and whether do we need to start getting our scissors out for those uh for those mats yeah yeah that that one i i'm actually a bit concerned about not because i don't like to be able to play on my kitchen table because that's a good thing but i hope they can like make it work with the everything that has to change with the the uh, ranges of stuff and and uh, movement and uh, things uh, you have to really make an overall change to to make it possible but we will see how it goes with the 40k i mean that will eventually become the standard and i hope both game systems actually use about the same size because of, of mats because i think the tos will really hate if yeah, they had to yeah no, i know what you mean having it would be frustrating having uh two different games with two different sized tables um so yeah watch this space yeah Age of Sigmar I, I, on or joining the small board gang we'll see yeah i mean i mean uh even if i'm, I'm not really a, a to i i interact a lot with with some tos and talk about what how how to like uh, rule systems and and, and uh, adaptions and stuff and I, um, I, as the time goes on and you get older in this hobby, one thing that I think you do is that you like think of not just you and the game, but everyone else of the game, the bigger picture, and try to take some responsibility. And so, 
some of my initial thoughts all the time with the game changes is how will this affect the TO? How how can we create a game or or uh, change small parts that would make it easier to run a tournament? That that's something that I, I, I try to 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 think on a lot. No, absolutely. I think it's um it's important to consider the impact on the whole kind of gaming uh, climate that that includes one-on-one games it includes events being run it includes yeah. little little jenny and johnny playing in their living room and it includes you know the top players of the world playing at, at global events so you know the hobby is the hobby is more than just how we as individuals participate in it and that's and i think that kind of alludes to the point that we we're discussing a second ago about you know the, the community being being a bigger greater thing um, yeah yeah interesting interesting point to end on thank you very much per for your time tonight it's uh it's been fantastic talking to you and and hopefully maybe uh maybe we'll see you at the uk for an event soon or, or i'll have to hop over to uh to sweden and get a game in yeah sure i mean thank you for having me and, and I, I like to go to the uk i hope i mean for now we swedes are actually kind of of the pariah of of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of of europe we are not allowed to enter any country uh, we'll see once everything gets back to normal we'll get some dice to rolling shall yeah we? Sure. sure cheers Perth. take care yeah take care thanks for listening to priority roll if you want to get in touch with us we're at priority roll on both twitter and instagram you can send us an email priority roll podcast at gmail.com or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priority roll and leave us a voice message if you want to leave us some feedback we're always looking to improve or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows then feel free to get in contact with us we'd love to hear from you until next time thanks for listening to priority roll